Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. My guest is longtime collaborator, the Athletics' John Hollinger. We've done a series of redrafts uh, earlier in the year, but we skipped the 2019 NBA draft, in part because the season was on pause for COVID, wasn't quite over yet. And two, it's a little bit odd to do a redraft and, and look at hindsight when you're only one year into the draft. But now that the season is over and we're coming up on the 2020 NBA draft, John and I thought it might be a great idea to look back at the 2019 NBA draft, see what we would have done differently with only one year of hindsight uh, behind us and any lessons that it can teach us about the 2020 NBA draft. So welcome aboard, John. Thanks for having me, Chad. Good as always to be here. If you remember our, our rules here, we are going to draft what we think teams should have done uh, on draft night based off of the information that that we have in hindsight a year later. And it's a small sample size uh, in many ways uh, for the draft. How comfortable are you doing a one year later redraft? Because I know data means a lot to you. Yeah, but I, I so I still think you don't have that much information from the first years that you should overdo shifting your priors. So I think you have to be careful with that too. So you're going to say that in your mind, this this redraft is going to look a lot like what your big board looked like prior to the 2019 NBA draft? Somewhat. I think there are some cases here where there's enough information to shift things. So uh, I'm going to say it's somewhat different. You know, it's interesting for me because uh, this was uh, I was still in exile uh, from ESPN at the time. And so this is one of the years that I didn't put together uh, a mock draft or a big board. And uh, and and I, I scouted probably more heavily in 2018 than I did in 2019 as well. And so, you know, this was a really interesting exercise for me because I actually didn't have that prior board personally, uh, other than the, the top few the top few picks in the draft. Um, to really uh, wrestle with. And so it'll be really interesting to see what we come up with here. Uh, John, is as typically tradition, we've gone back and forth a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and give you the first pick in the draft. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to go over again what the draft looked like on draft night. And so again, this is what happened on draft night for the 2019 NBA draft. And then we'll talk about what we think should have happened. So the first pick in the draft went to the New Orleans Pelicans. They selected Zion Williamson out of Duke, who was the consensus number one player uh, in the draft. And I don't think there was much, uh, much real challenge on that. At two, the Memphis Grizzlies selected Ja Morant out of Murray State, who I think was also the consensus number two pick in the draft. So very different than this year's 2020 draft. At three, the New York Knicks selected R.J. Barrett um, out of Duke. At four, the Atlanta Hawks moved up to the fourth pick in the draft. They got that from the Lakers, and they selected DeAndre Hunter out of Virginia. At five, the Cleveland Cavaliers selected another point guard, Darius Garland, uh, out of Vanderbilt. At six, Minnesota Timberwolves moved up uh, to uh, six to select Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech at six. At seven, the Chicago Bulls drafted Kobe White out of North Carolina. At eight, this pick also ended up being a part of a trade, uh, went to the Pelicans, and they selected Jackson Hayes, the big man out of Texas. At nine, the Washington Wizards selected Rue Hachimura out of Gonzaga. At 10, the Hawks took Cam Reddish out of Duke. 
At 11, this pick ended up ultimately going to the Phoenix Suns, who took Cameron Johnson out of North Carolina at 11. At 12, Charlotte took P.J. Washington out of Kentucky. Run on Kentucky players here. At 13, the Miami Heat took Tyler Hero, also out of Kentucky. And at 14, the Boston Boston Celtics selected Romeo Langford out of Indiana. And there was consensus at the top of this draft, John, and maybe R.J. Hampton was close to a consensus number three pick in the draft. But after that, it was pretty wide open. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sort of similar to this year's draft where, where as we got closer, there was kind of a top three. But there was really a top two even toward the end of the college season in most people's minds. All right. So you're the Pelicans. Do you reselect Zion Williamson with the number one pick in the draft? Uh, I'm going to take Dylan Brooks. Okay. It's been a long time. I'm so glad we got a Dylan Brooks reference. For those of you that are longtime listeners to the pod, we know that we can account on John Hollinger mentioning Dylan Brooks at least once. Johnny wasn't available in this draft. You oh, already okay. brilliantly right. selected him Okay, uh, hmm. several years prior. All right. But um, you could select the – maybe you could make the argument that you could select who the Grizzlies selected it to and John Moran. I actually will make that argument uh, that John John Morant at number one, and I will make that argument based on uh, physically. I think he's, although I have concerns about him holding up too. I think that first year really showed that he physically uh, has a better chance of holding up than Zion Williamson does. I mean, there's after watching that first season of Zion Williamson, I think it's fair to say there are some real health questions there. And that that would tilt me more toward John Moran. Okay. A bit of a controversial take, but again, it's not about the talent, but projecting longevity in the NBA. John, uh, Zion Williamson has the one of the highest ceilings we've ever seen in the draft, right? So you, you could argue that's the case. You just take him no matter what and, and hope he stays healthy. But what happened last year, and especially after they came back uh, from the hiatus – uh, was troubling, uh, tr- troubling enough that I would really reconsider that. Interesting. Well, Zion Williamson in 24 games last year had pretty awesome numbers uh, across the board, including shooting a surprising uh, 43% from three uh, for uh, New Orleans last year. But John Moran had a terrific uh, rookie year as well. Uh, certainly looks like he is going to be a future star in the league. And John makes the pick based off of long-term health over necessarily talent. That puts Memphis on the board for me at two. And maybe this is John's sneaky way of loyalty of giving Memphis Ian Williamson. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly what's I, – I get where John's going here. Uh, I'm going to select Zion Williamson at two just because exactly for the reasons that John spoke about – there have been few players that I've seen come along in all the years of scouting the NBA draft that just blow me the way blow me away the way Zion Williamson uh, blows me away on just the sheer talent, the physical specimen that he is. If he stays healthy, and I know that that is a big question mark, but if he does, to me, he has the potential to be a top five player in the NBA someday. Oh yeah, without a doubt, yeah. I mean, the highest ceiling in this draft certainly is still Zion Williamson. Would you? Would he be two on your board as well? Is this is this where your concern ends as far as health goes? Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. I have him second. I just think there's a such a clear talent delineation at this point between uh, those two guys and everyone else. Okay, so Zion Williamson ends up going two in our redraft of the Memphis Grizzlies. That puts the Knicks on the board. At number three, they selected R.J. Barrett out of Duke, who I think at the time was generally the consensus number three pick in this draft. Does your board change, or maybe your board didn't have R.J. Barrett at all? Uh, I think at this point, uh, there's a guy who is the same age, who was clearly a better player last year, and I think clearly showed some upside to be a pretty high-level player for a long time, uh, and that's Tyler Hero. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Tyler Hero at three in this redraft. I'm jealous. That's uh, that's who also who I had um, at at three as well. And you know, an interesting prospect that that really blossomed, uh, especially in the playoffs. And uh, you know, where where people got really really excited about what he's going to bring, the ultimate confidence uh, uh, player uh, and shooter. Why did he slide to thirteen? in the draft, John, because when you watch him play, he pops as an NBA player almost immediately. Everybody blames John Calipari in Kentucky in the system. Uh, I think John Calipari sort of laughs that off. Why does he slide to 13 on draft night? I think it was a couple of things. I think one, people didn't get to see him operate on the ball enough. Really, his ability to operate on the ball, I think was a big surprise. I think everyone knew he could shoot and could shoot off of movement. And most, I think, I think people who knew what they were looking at had him rated as a lottery pick because of that. Uh, there's still defensive concerns. I mean, he has short arms and probably isn't like super great laterally, even though he's okay. Um, so I don't think he's ever going to be like an awesome player on that end, which, which concerns some people. But I think the biggest thing is that they were seeing him uh, as a shooter, but not as a shot creator. But he's shown he can be a shot creator at the NBA level, and that's the real differentiator. I'm 100% on board. Tyler Hero was also number three uh, on my board. It's interesting, Tyrese Maxey is now getting love in this draft because people are looking at whether it's Bam Adebayo or Tyler Hero or Devin Booker all sort of sliding in the draft on draft night and then overperforming in the NBA. That There's there's something about Kentucky players uh, it's like a like there's a polling air or something, right? There's something that 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 teams aren't taking to account with Kentucky players where they're overperforming uh, their draft positions in the draft, but you don't see it with Tyrese Maxey this year. No, I mean I I think there's been a lot of Kentucky players that have not performed to their draft position too, and people just uh, you know they become kind of forgettable players, so people don't remember like oh yeah Trey Lyles was a lottery pick too, or you know Malik Monk or Kevin Knox, so. You know, uh, it, it cuts both ways. So uh, I certainly wouldn't use that as a reason to elevate Tyrese Maxey. I think this is a recency bias, too, because my guess is we're going to have a couple of other Kentucky players that are actually uh, outperformed their draft positions in this particular draft um, as well. At least I do uh, on my board. Uh, at four, it the, the Hawks traded up for this pick. Uh, they took DeAndre Hunter. Uh, at four, DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter would not be my selection uh, at, at four. And and this was one of the guys, again, I wasn't as deep in the draft as I usually am that had me scratching my head a little bit about how he was the fourth pick in the draft just based off what I saw at Virginia. I'm going, even though he did not have a great rookie season, I, I'm going to still show some faith in R.J. Barrett here. 
uh, from Duke at, at, at four. I certainly didn't love what happened with New York last year. Uh, you know, he only shot 40% from the field, only shot 32% from three. Uh, there's definite, definitely some question marks that I have about him going forward. But just based off projections and what he did at Duke and what he did at a high school player, I'm, I'm hoping that he continues to grow uh, as a player and ends up being better than what we saw um, his, his rookie year uh, with New York. And so Barrett's my selection at four. Did you have him? Where did you have him on your board? I, I did have him fourth. I, uh, I, I still had a lot of belief in, in what he showed before last season. And I didn't think any of the remaining options were so overwhelming that it would elevate them above what, what I had seen as Barrett's upside uh, as a collegian, as a high schooler. So this, this is where I had RJ Barrett too. I had him. Okay. That gives you the fifth pick in the draft which the Cleveland Cavaliers used to select Darius Garland out of Vanderbilt. And I'm guessing that that is not going to be your selection at, at number five. He, he, he will not be uh, my selection, no. Um, I'm actually going to go uh, with the guy who I think went next. Um, I'm going with Kobe White here. Uh, I thought he showed a lot right before the league shut down. I think he can shoot. I think he has a lot of speed. He's big. Uh, he's still very young. The background on him was really good. So I think he's going to make it. And I think he's going to be a valuable offensive player. Uh, so a little bit of a left turn here. A couple guys had better rookie years than Kobe White did. But when you factor in his youth, uh, I think he ultimately will be the right pick here. John, our, our boards are tracking pretty closely here. I also had Kobe White. Really? Uh, really? Here, okay. I thought that I thought that was going to be like the record scratch. There. No, I guess it, not. It, it wasn't for me. And again, uh, in all fairness, I, I wasn't as heavily scouting, especially talking to teams. But Kobe Kobe White to me, early in the season when I was watching him in North Carolina, I was wondering he wasn't. I, I think really rated as a lottery pick early on in the season. Correct. Uh, I was scratching yeah. my head as how this this player isn't isn't a lottery pick, uh, and and I'm not sure that I would have ended up with him at five. Uh, on my board, and I'm not sure where he ended up on your board on draft night, but I certainly thought that where they where he was drafted, he was drafted seven uh, by the Chicago Bulls. I certainly thought that was a good pick for the Bulls at the time, and certainly I think that his play on the court, though again you can look at it, you know his field goal percentage was a little bit rocky, and uh, you know there were some turnovers and some issues like that. I certainly liked what I saw from him, and and again I, I'm not sure this is the deepest or best draft. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's coming out of 2019. No. And so I, I definitely think that that's a great, a great choice uh, for you at five. At six, this was the Phoenix Suns pick. Uh, it ends up going to the Minnesota Timberwolves who move up to take Jarrett Culver out of Texas Tech. And this was, they selected Culver probably right about where he was projected uh, to go uh, at the time. He was another player that Frankly, in my opinion, I was scratching my head a little bit about about why he was ranked so high. He and DeAndre Hunter were were the two that that I had question marks about. And I'm not going to select him here. I'm going to select the guy that actually went considerably lower in the draft, but had just such a great season uh, that it's hard for me to ignore it. And that's Brandon Clark uh, out of Gonzaga. Yep. Uh, he ends up being. Uh, drafted it was Oklahoma City at 21 but that, that ends up getting traded to the Memphis Grizzlies and you can make an argument next to John Morant had the best rookie season of any of the prospects I mean obviously Zion in the 24 games uh, was terrific but Brandon Clark really 
had a had a strong rookie season, and I, I feel like that's going to continue to translate in that he's going to have a long career in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, he brings that athletic pop, uh, can play four and five, uh, made enough three-pointers to be kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit of a threat. Uh, you know, he's, he's undersized and dependent on athleticism, a uh, little older coming into the league than some of these other guys. Uh, so I don't know if his, like, he's not offering like a crazy high ceiling, but he's a good player right now who is going to be good for several years. So I think at this point in the draft, in our, our imaginary draft, that's, you definitely take that. Did you have him a uh, six on your board as well? Okay. We're, we're trying, we're tracking. And did you have him because he's a guy who slides the 21 in age, of course, is a, is a factor. I mean, there, there's a number of things you could look at him and understand maybe why he slipped a little further in the draft. Yeah, there were age and positional questions, but his analytics were also off the charts uh, at Gonzaga. And, you know, people, some people look sideways at that too. And like, well, he's racking up numbers against, you know, San Francisco and University of Portland and, uh, you know, the teams they played in that league. But even in Maui, he was, he was, because I saw him play three times in Maui and that was against real competition. And, he was good. Like it was like, wait, who is this guy who transferred from San Jose State and now he's like dominating here? So, uh, I he he was he was legit. I, I think his age kept him from being in the top ten. I was surprised he lasted till twenty one. The Chicago Bulls are next on the clock. Uh, they are at seven. Uh, but before we make that that selection, we're gonna take a pause. Go to our sponsors. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. There are in 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread. One of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for, for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot, about what he puts into his system. I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. And we are back with John Hollinger of The Athletic redrafting the 2019 NBA draft. We've Drafted six prospects uh, up to this point. And now we're at pick number seven. The Chicago Bulls are on the board. They selected Kobe White on draft night. He's already off the board. John selected him a couple of spots higher for Cleveland at five. Certainly, I think it would have made a lot more sense at their point guard uh, position than Darius Garland, who they ended up selecting at five 
You're on the board at seven, John. Bulls can't have Kobe White. Who do they get? I'm going to go with P.J. Washington here. Uh, just a good, solid combo forward. Uh, still can develop in a lot of different areas between his shooting, uh, defense as he figures that end of the floor uh background on him was pretty decent uh you know just has a lot of different ways to score uh more of a jack of all trades master of none right now but i think it also gives him a lot of opportunity to take his game in different areas and develop so i'd be pretty excited about having him at this point another kentucky player that overperforms his draft position he ends up sliding to 12 and a little a little and you know an interesting one because you know pj you know, and this happens, you know, we're so used to one and done players at Kentucky that when a player lasts to a second year at Kentucky, it's it's like time that they're like an old maid. It's time to start writing them off, right? If they yeah. if they weren't able yeah. to do the one and done leap out of Kentucky, you start to have major questions about who they are going to be. And I think that probably hurt P.J. Washington more than anything else because he had a really terrific year for Kentucky uh, coming into that season. And sometimes players just need a little bit longer to develop. And as we have learned also in Kentucky, a lot of times that th those rosters are pretty pretty crowded and not everybody's going to be able to stand out and pop. All right, I like that I like that pick. Uh, I, I didn't have uh, P.J. Washington here, so we, we deviated wow. slightly. I had him one spot below, so okay. not, not a wild okay. variation here. Uh, eight, okay. The eighth pick in the draft, originally owned by the Hawks, but they ended up moving up and ended up trading this to the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm going to keep their pick. And and have them select Jackson Hayes, um, really out out of Texas, very raw uh, player uh, certainly. But if, as I look at upside of who's left on this draft board, I, I think I think he was selected by New Orleans, understanding that he was raw, understanding that there was going to be uh, a long learning curve here. I, I think you saw that. But there's there's some things that at least suggest to me, uh, you know, in in some of the analytics and and some of the things that when he was on the court that that there was some productive signs there from Jackson Hayes, and I and I think he's going to be able to grow into this spot. And just frankly, I wasn't sure that there was anybody else that sat on this board that I thought had the upside that he had left in the draft. And so I've got him going. I actually had him seven on my board, but I'll take him here eight, uh, going to where he went with the New Orleans Pelicans. By your reaction, I'm assuming you had Jackson Hayes much lo lower on your board. I had him a I had him a little lower. There were some things I liked last year, but he just looked so lost much of the time. Uh, and I also uh, my bias against drafting centers, like don't use a lottery pick on a center. So I, I pushed him down because of that. Let Let's go. Let's go nine. The Washington Wizards select. Rui Hachimura out of Gonzaga. I, if I remember correctly, this was a little bit of a surprise on draft night. Like he, he dra was was drafted a little bit higher than maybe where the consensus rankings had. Not not hugely. People were all over the place on him though. Like some people loved him, and some you know so he was one of those guys where some people in the room had him fourth, and some people had him fortieth. You know, and and, and, and and he has a solid rookie season. Averages thirteen and a half points a game, six rebounds a game. Uh, it was it was a solid a solid rookie season. Yeah. I, I I mean he he put up numbers per game because he played a lot. I don't think he was very good to be honest. Well, then it sounds like he's not going nine to the he, Washington he's Wizards. He's not my pick. No, no. Who do All you right, got? Let me, let me go out of left field here. 
Uh, I'm going to go with Chuma Okiki. By, by virtue of not playing in a game last year, he definitely moves up in this draft class, right? Because so many of the other guys were so bad that he, right? You have to move him up. Um, I really liked him too. I think he has a good basketball IQ. I think he can shoot. I think he can defend, play multiple positions. I'm really interested to see what he does this year. I, I am as well. And and he he was exactly, this is exactly where I had him as well for the same sort of reasons. And it's always easy to be able to project our desires onto a blank slate. And he, he sort of is the, 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 blank, the blank slate that's really sort of left in this draft uh, to a certain extent. But um, uh, you know, assuming that he is healthy, uh, there's there is a lot to be encouraged about with his game, and and we I, I think we also know that had he been completely healthy, uh, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have slid to 16 in the draft. Yeah, I agree with that. It's the Atlanta Hawks at 10. They took Cam Reddish out of Duke. Not not, not totally in love with that pick uh, either. This is this is where I really started to to scratch my head a little bit and say, okay, what am I going to do here? And uh, and I I'm gonna pull one maybe way out of left field as well, okay. uh, based off an, a ridiculously small sample size, uh, and say that I kind of like Bull Bull, uh, and who who slipped all the way to 44 uh, okay. on draft night, and uh, and again maybe I'm just gonna swing for the fences, maybe I'm a little bit self deceived, but I'm I'm going to give him. Uh, to uh, the Hawks at 10. Okay. Crazy? Okay. I don't think it's crazy at this point. Uh, I I still don't really, I don't feel good enough to know what he is uh, to move off of, to move off of um, the assessment of the, that the league had of him going in the last draft. Um, you know, I, I liked him. I liked him better than 44th, but there, there's definitely still some qu- questions watching him and you know physically and like can he really actually shoot or is he just a guy who's shooting threes because he can't do anything else um and so i I still have some questions but i I also understand how somebody could take him top 10 in a redraft here it may have been more about the way so many of these other prospects turned me off oh (laughs) sure and and again and again so you know we're projecting the same way that we did a little bit with okk um Okay, that's the top 10 picks in the 2019 NBA redraft. When we return, uh, we'll talk about picks 11 through 14. You're with John Hollinger of The Athletic, listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we are back doing the 2019 NBA redraft. I'm with The Athletic's John Hollinger. We've gone through 10 picks in this draft. At 11, Minnesota originally had this pick, but it went to the Phoenix Suns. They took Cameron Johnson out of North Carolina, who had a solid rookie season for them uh, at Phoenix. Is he your selection at 11, or do you have somebody else, John? Uh, it's very close here, but there's somebody else uh, with a very similar name that I'm going to take instead, uh, and that is Keldon Johnson, uh, another Kentucky guy who seems to be overperforming his draft spot. My one misgiving, I would have had Keldon Johnson even higher if I could trust that the way he shot in the bubble is the way he'll really shoot going forward, but his shooting numbers like in the G League 
uh, last year were pretty bad. So I, that's the one thing that holds me back because I don't know if I can trust him uh, as a shooter. If the to, shooting to shoot 59% is, from three? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, even to shoot 35% from three. Right. Yeah. But if the shooting is legit, he is definitely an NBA small forward, and he's 19, and uh, he's another guy like plays hard. Background on him was good. Uh, and I, I think he'd just be a, a pretty high-level role player for a long time as long as he can continue to shoot. So I think this is the right spot for him. Uh, but like, if, if I knew the shooting was a sure thing, you could put him five spots higher pretty easily. John, this is also who I had. And, and, this, and this is one where, again, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I wasn't sure why Keldon Johnson slid as far as he did in the draft. There, there just seemed to be too much talent there. Here's another Kentucky player, over, uh, much overperforming based off of where they were drafted. Why did he slide? Was it really just the question about the jump shot? I think there was more questions just about his overall offense. Like even when he put it on the floor, it was very straight line. Um, and I think there were, and didn't get all the way to the rim that frequently. And so I think there were questions of whether he'd be able to do that at the NBA level. But when you watch him in the NBA, he plays the exact same way, but he's able to do it because he's just like big enough and athletic enough that it still works. So I, I think that that's the real difference. Okay. The Suns get another Kentucky player. We get three Kentucky players in the top top 11. All the Kentucky conspiracy theorists are going to love it. It's the 12th pick in the draft. Charlotte Hornets are on the board. I am going to take, I'm, I'm going to reach a little bit lower in the draft here. This was a player that I, I really liked, but I, I was unsure about how he was going to project in the NBA uh, but he has crazy long arms, and he's an incredible defender. And so I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Matisse uh, Thibel here um, at at pick 12, uh, just in part because of the defensive impact that I think that he can have in the league. I think which we, we sort of understood that coming into the draft. And he kind of sort of shot the ball okay uh, for uh, the, the 76ers this year, which it, certainly some of the questions were going to be what was going to happen on offense and, and what was going to happen with his shot. He shot 35% from three, took about two and a half threes a game. Uh, but I, this, this was a player that I think, if nothing else on the defensive end, is going to be a disruptive defender for a really long time in the league. Yeah, so he's going to have a role no matter what. I still don't trust his shot, really, but he... Um... He definitely showed at the other end. I mean, he is an NBA caliber defender who with, with all defense upside. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so I, the, this is a point where we could definitely justify that. I had him in a group of four players here that I'm pretty indifferent about between them. Okay. He's got a great name, uh, by the way, uh, as well. And so, uh, you know, whenever you can get a really unique NBA name, uh, always, always glad to take it. That puts Miami on the board. Of course, Heat fans are are crushed because they 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 love Tyler Hero. Uh, he's such a popular player uh, right now in Miami. He ends up going three in our redraft uh, to to the New York Knicks. Uh, who do you have Miami selecting now at thirteen? Uh, I think you got to take Cameron Johnson here. Uh, just uh, you know, he had a really solid rookie season. Uh, can shoot the ball, defends well enough. 
Uh, you know, older player, probably not as much upside. Uh, you may be a little concerned about some health stuff that was on his file coming into the draft, but at the end of the day, like he's, he's a solid rotation player right now. And there's just not a lot of players in this draft who can say that. So I, I, I'd, I'd go with him here. I, uh, I, I think you can say that. I mean, it's interesting because we're going to, we're going to end up losing some players that were drafted, you know, very high uh, in this draft now out after one year. And, and maybe that will feel like to some an overreaction, right? That there was some consensus uh, around Garland, around Jarrett Culver, around Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter. Uh, now at 13, none of those players have shown up uh, on our on our board. Uh, but but I and, and, and Cameron Johnson just is the safer safer choice here as well, I think, for those same reasons. I think you know what he can deliver. That leaves Boston at 14, who selected Romeo Langford uh, out of Indiana. I, I don't think that's going to be the uh, be the selection, uh, not at all. And you know, I, I went back and forth too. Okay, is this a point where you look at Culver or Garland or Hunter or Reddish and just say, you know, look, uh, okay, their rookie seasons weren't great, but but you swing for a guy here. There was a player that I liked in this draft, and his rookie season uh, was pre- was pretty shaky. But there's just something about him that I like. I'm not ready to give up on him yet. He slipped a little bit further in the draft. I'm going to stay with him uh, in this. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Oh, my goodness. You see, I, I wrote him down because I had a man crush on him, too, coming out of Virginia Tech. and uh, I But I, I couldn't quite get myself to put him in my top 14. But that's so funny because I had written his name down because I really liked him too. I had him in my top 10 going into the draft last year, and I couldn't understand why he struggled so much with the Pelicans this year. Uh, so, I, yeah, it's funny. I'm not I'm not ready to quit him either. That's, that's I'm a not good just pick. not ready to get off the train yet. And uh, he ended up going uh, 17th. And there were flashes when you watched when you watched them where you could see where the talent was. Uh, I am also not sure uh, why he struggled the way he did. He only shot thirty six percent from the field uh, his rookie year. So certainly, if you want to knock him, uh, you can. But this was just a player that I thought on my personal draft board would have went higher in the draft and should have went higher. I thought it was a steal uh, when the Pelicans got him at seventeen and just moving him up three spots to fourteen. I still don't feel like it's a stretch and like I'm ne- I'm necessarily leaving anybody of great great upside or talent behind so i'm gonna t- i'm gonna take him at 14 okay okay uh, you seem yeah, really it, enthused by that so that's no that's no i am i'm 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 excited because i because i'm a i'm a i'm an akil stan over here so I'm, I'm excited by that the the two guys that i thought had a case to be in here that we didn't talk about uh cam reddish uh really struggled at the start of last year came on right before the league shut down and i think with his size his ability to defend I think there's something there. I question his shot a little bit. And when he handles the ball in traffic, it's, you know, it's red sirens right now. But I, I think there's something there. And then Kevin Porter, he, he was pretty good in Cleveland. Uh, so I, he's, he's a guy that I'd keep my eye on too. Yeah, I liked him as well. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a player at 41, Eric Peschel, that uh, really <laughs> – really yeah. had a, a big year for Golden State in, in part because Golden State was in the situation that they were in and, and could feed a ton of minutes to a rookie. Um, but but perform, averaged 14 points a game as a, as a yeah. 41, 41st pick in the draft. 
I, I still had trouble getting excited about him, to be honest. But I, I think if we had gone a few picks further, he, his name would have come up. Yeah. So let's 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 look at a few guys that went high that we didn't take. Let's start with okay. DeAndre Hunter, who went four. He did not make our top fourteen. What what's going on with DeAndre Hunter? What's what's wrong? I, I, I got to be honest. I so I wa- I went to Virginia. I watched a ton of Virginia games. I just I never thought he was anything other than than an NBA role player. In, in watching him. So I just I just never understood why he was the fourth pick in the draft. But are you so, off that now? Because at 14, we're talking about NBA role players probably in this yeah, draft. I mean, yeah. that's that's so, actually who we're talking about now. Yeah. And so do you, so like do you 15, think he's going to underperform now? 15 to 25 is like where he belongs, right? Like okay. that's, that's where, you know, where somebody who's like, he was already 22 or whatever when he got picked. It was like, that's, that's where guys like that go, right? So... Okay, I, I was I was with you. This was the probably of all the players, this was the one that had my me scratching my head the most when you just watch him play. Like, you know, how is how are how are teams getting so excited as the fourth pick in the draft? Darius Garland out of Vanderbilt, Rocky, rookie season for Cleveland, didn't make our top fourteen. What's your analysis there? Uh I thought he was really bad. Um, but he's also like some of these skill guys need a little more time to figure it out. Um, so I'm not really ready to completely uh, put him in the dumpster yet. Uh, I think like if you got to the second half of the first round and a redraft, like 15 to 25 again, I, th- I think he's definitely a guy you start thinking about, okay, let's take a shot on him and see if his skill level wins out. I think the biggest thing with him is he has to be a lights out three point shooter and not just like a pretty decent three point shooter. And, and that's what can open up the rest of his game potentially. It's interesting. It's like you buy that new car, you drive it off the parking lot, and immediately uh, the value drops. And just straight down, uh, we're seeing that with Hunter and Garland. Obviously puts both Atlanta and Cleveland in tough positions because there's a lot of trade value. The sixth pick in the draft also did not make it uh, into our top 14. Jarrett Culver who I thought at the time there was a lot of back and forth about whether he was going to be an, an NBA player or not. Uh, he got plenty of minutes uh, in Minnesota last year, but didn't do a lot with him. Yeah, just okay defensively. I think not like super explosive vertically. And I think for him, the shot was going to be the swing skill. And man, the, man, did that not swing. <laughs> like He can't even make a foul three. shot. You know, thirty percent from so, three. Yeah, forty-six percent from free throw line. Until that comes around, there's just nothing there. So I, I think it's hard to get super excited about that. You see, like some elements of like NBA wing size, handling ability, gets good elevation on the jumper. Like you can see the individual pieces, maybe that you could talk yourself into over time. But he's. He, he like wasn't that young, but was also still kind of a project. So in retrospect, a reach. How does a player shoot 70% from the free throw line in college and 46% from the free throw line in the NBA? Yeah, because I don't that's, know what, I don't that, know. That's not NBA yeah. length or NBA athleticism messing up yeah. your shot. Uh, that's, that seems like that's almost psychological. Uh, yeah. You know, based yeah, off that, of. That's troubling. I, I, don't, I don't have another way to put it. Rui Hachimura, who who did put up numbers, uh, at, at least for Washington, doesn't make our top 14. 
Uh, where did where do you slot him? Is he another like fifteen to twenty five guy? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Like you know, he's another guy who was you know an older player when he came out, and I, I think people talked themselves into his progression at Gonzaga. Uh, the, the people that were his biggest fans, um, but the lack of feel for the game at the defensive end. Um, the it's interesting. His he's a really good mid range shooter but that's also the least valuable skill right now. And his three point shot is completely different from his mid range shot. So I, I think that's going to take some time to sort of get figured out. I still think there's like potential there. He could end up being a good player. I think, you know, so yeah, if we had gone to 20 or 25, I think we definitely would have called his name. We talked about Cam Reddish and he was right there on the bubble for both you and I uh, could have, could have potentially made it into the top 14 if I hadn't ruined it by selecting Bobo at 14, Romeo Langford out of Indiana. Yeah. I just didn't really get that one. I, I, I watched him a bunch in Indiana. I just did like a, not a good shooter or straight line, right-hand driver. Um, not like a super athlete. Like I just had, I just had a hard time figuring that one out. You know, it's a rocky draft when no Kansas players are selected in the, in the top 60. And, uh, you know, that, that's just another a stain or mar on, on the 2019 NBA draft. It's, it's amazing that you could have this many disappointing draft picks in one draft and, and not, not have not any a of Kansas them be player. from Kansas. Okay. Uh, that's John Hollinger, everybody, breaking down the 2019 NBA redraft. When we come back on Friday, I will release Mock Draft 2.0. Until then, you've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.